So what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will later reveal in us. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Does that encourage you? Hopefully it does. This passage has, I think, quite a lot of interesting words. Suffering, frustration, groaning, death, decay, birth pangs, weaknesses. Doesn't sound entirely like a bundle of laughs on a Sunday morning. And maybe you're sitting there feeling not encouraged like you think you should be, or know you should be. Maybe you're sitting there feeling, well, what does Rachel know? What does Paul know who wrote this? What does even Jesus know of what I'm actually going through now? I'm struggling with something. Maybe it's something that you've been praying to God with for a long time, or maybe it's something recent, but maybe you've run out of prayers for it. You've given up because you keep praying the same thing and you don't feel that God is answering you. So who is this guy who is telling us these things, that it's going to be okay in the end? Well, I want to tell you a story about how I discovered Paul. Um, When I was 16, I uh, decided to do RE A-level against uh, my probably better judgment. Um, Everyone the year before had failed. And hence my parents' wishes, who desperately wanted me to do physics. Um, And I'd been to a Christian youth group for a while. Um, But I didn't actually know much about this book. I knew about the gospel story, and that was probably about it, if I'm honest. And maybe some of the ones that, you know, you learn in Sunday school, like um, Daniel and Jonah. But I've never come across the book of Acts before. And that was our set text. So I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I bored all my um, friends with how exciting it was. But I had so many questions about this guy, Paul. Main one, how could he speak and so many people listen and become Christians? Because I don't know about you, but he spoke in marketplaces and street corners. Now, if you've ever been in a market um, and someone's been up on their soapbox talking about Jesus, I generally just keep walking. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I generally do. Um, And how did he cope with everything he had to cope with? I um, wrote a little list of some of the stuff that he went with. Um, He was apparently shipwrecked three times. He was constantly thrown in jail, and jails weren't even as as nice as they are today. He was given the 39 lashes five times. I'm not sure I could even do that once. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned once. You're not supposed to survive that. He was bitten by a viper in Malta that should have killed him. He had so many issues along the way. And that's not to mention the ridicule he faced. The loneliness, he traveled around constantly. He argued with his fellow workers in Christ, his brothers and sisters, about how they should do what they were doing. And he had that heartache of when people he thought were following Jesus turned away. I was fascinated by Paul. Um, I did a little bit more research. What did he have that made so many people listen? Maybe he was good looking, I thought, the 16-year-old me. So I found some um, accounts of what he looked like. Apparently he was short, bandy-legged, big red face and a monobrow. So no, he wasn't good looking, okay. Maybe he was a really good speaker. 
but apparently he wasn't. He gestured a lot with his hands, which must have been distracting, and he wasn't very good with big words or fancy arguments. So it wasn't that either. He also suffered constantly with some kind of, whatever he called his thorn in his side, some kind of illness that he was dealing with all the time. But I remember thinking as a teenager, how did he do it? What did he have that I don't have? How did he cope with so much suffering? So please be assured um, if you heard that encouragement and you thought, well, great, thanks for that, keep going, glory's coming, but I'm not feeling that today, that he did know what suffering was like. He had been there. He'd probably been there twice as much as most of us. And like his saviour before him, I mean, Jesus, Jesus was betrayed, stripped, ridiculed, whipped. Only he knows what else went on. And crucified. And let's not beat about the bush. Crucifixion is designed to be the most painful death that there is. Please be assured that in writing this, Paul was not taking your suffering lightly. He knew it. He'd lived it. But for Paul... That sure and certain belief that future glory was going to outweigh the sufferings carry him through. In fact, he says that without it, the Christian life is futile, tragic and foolish. He has that eternal perspective which helps him get through. He says glory is coming, not might be coming later at some point, it is coming... And it will be revealed not for you, not by you, but in you. Which is pretty cool. Until then, though, Paul says creation, the whole of creation, not just you and me, but creation is waiting. Why is it waiting? Well, because it is subject to futility and all the results of sin. I mean... Look at the earth at the moment, the earth that God said to humans, look after my creation. Look at how it's been treated as we stand on the edge of what David Attenborough and the news keep telling us is a climate crisis. Paul says that these sufferings are birth pains. Now, don't take that one lightly either. I mean, has anyone here actually enjoyed childbirth? Does anyone here, talking to the guys then, enjoy watching their loved ones in childbirth? Anyone? That doesn't surprise me. It's called labour for a reason. So why is it that people do it multiple times? I know when I was in labour with my first, I didn't think it was ever going to end. Three days. It was not good. But they want to have a child. And most parents, I hope all parents would say, when they hold that baby in their arms, it's all worth it. That's the analogy that Paul's using here. Paul's saying it will be worth it, I promise. How much better than having one child is this glory that is to come? He's trying to get you to see that eternal perspective. He's trying to help you endure. That eternal perspective helps you go out on mission. Even, he doesn't say you don't have to groan and moan. He knows that that's still going to happen. And, thank goodness, we're not entirely unequipped, he says. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. 
We have a little taste of what's to come. Now, I've seen people experience the Holy Spirit in a lot of different ways. Some people, especially if you've been to Soul Survivor or someone like that, some people fall down, some people um, cry uncontrollably or laugh or um, have a healing. Sometimes that's their first taste of it or a picture or a word. But often, and I think this has been said before, but often it's a deep sense of peace. And once you have that feeling, Paul says, you're not faulted for wanting more of that. That's okay. In the same way, he says, when you accept the gospel, you become a child of God. But it's okay to want more because we all eagerly expect, um, await that full adoption when you become an heir. When the mortal becomes immortal and we get that bodily resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I can't wait for that new body. Um, I have a body that moans and groans. I haven't had anywhere near the same suffering as as, um, Paul, uh, or potentially as half of you here. But, you know, I still have pains. Pains um, from old injuries, rowing injuries, um, scars from operations. I have pains from where tumours riddled my body nine years ago and pushed my joints around that I still struggle with. I have a problem with my feet that um, God has chosen not to heal yet. And it may be nothing compared to Paul. Um, I have, thank goodness, not had to have the 39 lashes or been stoned. But it's enough for me to eagerly anticipate my new body and that glory that we've been promised. But as we eagerly anticipate that glory... God's help through the Holy Spirit is available to us here and now in those first fruits. And often for me, in my experience, it's that feeling of peace where I'm aware of the aches and pains, but they don't overwhelm me. That feeling of being warm and safe. Paul says, and I find this really encouraging, that even in our weaknesses, in a place where we don't know what to pray, God still searches our hearts. Maybe your tower is a little bit wobbly sometimes. You know, maybe your tower's half fallen down. But he says that God's there in our weaknesses and when we don't know what to pray. Sometimes I'm not very eloquent when I pray. Sometimes my prayers are just like, God, please help me right now. Or Holy Spirit, come into this because I don't really know what to do. God, it tells us here that if things are too much, the Spirit has an understanding of the things we can't express or that we keep praying about over and over again until we've got no words left. Because sometimes when you're at that point, God can bring peace, comfort, can even speak, speak through your brothers and sisters. I can't say how many times someone from this church has come and encouraged me when the suffering and the groaning threatens to overwhelm the hope. The Holy Spirit will guide the prayers however they come out. It's not a promise that there's not going to be storms along the way. It's not a promise that you're not going to be frustrated with each other, family, friends, brothers and sisters. It's a promise that there will be peace through your storm, hope through your storm, joy through your storm and that the storms won't last forever 
So in answer to my 16-year-old self, what did Paul have that I didn't? Well, he had the Holy Spirit. He had that eternal hope and perspective that made him a missionary, wanting to share that hope. And he had those first fruits that helped him endure. And that's what makes that story so amazing. Without that, these are not birth pangs, they're death pangs. Like climbing a mountain constantly and never getting to the top. And that would overwhelm me, I'm not very good walking. But the glory will be revealed in all of you. And I promise you, and Paul promises you, and Jesus promises you, that it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And if you're feeling still a bit unsure, and there's still so many prayers that God isn't, you don't feel he's there for you, I suggest we just take a moment in quiet prayer, and we just lift to him the things that we are struggling with right now. The people we're struggling with right now, the suffering that we're struggling with right now. Father God, just search our hearts. Help us understand the things that we don't understand and give us hope in this eternal glory. Amen.